Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. This is part one of our big discussion with Gordon Domlija, an advertising and media specialist with over 25 years of experience in communications and marketing. In this part one of our conversation with Gordon, we explore the dynamic world of marketing and advertising during China's rapid urbanization and opening up between the mid-2000s and today. We take a deep dive into the innovative marketing strategies that have emerged in China, the challenges of implementing some of these strategies, and some of the effective communication strategies that fit the market that may be different from the rest of the world. Our episode offers a comprehensive look at how both technology and China's modernization have shaped marketing and advertising in the region and today's best practices around connecting brands and customers. From social media platforms to cutting-edge marketing tools, we explore how brands can leverage the latest technologies in market to drive business growth and stay ahead of the competition, which is a full-time job in and of itself. Enjoy. Brands that succeed, particularly in China, you still need scale. You know, you can't even make a dent if you don't have scale. Why are you in game? Because there's like 500 million gamers in China, you know, and they're in that space. You have to communicate with them. Why are you on like, you know, why, why are you on these platforms? Why are you on the social commerce platforms? Isn't it? Because this is where people spend their time. This is like, you know, this is 50% of their daily online time is spent on these channels. You have to be in there in some way. Sometimes you don't control it particularly, but sometimes you have to allow your brand to live in these spaces or you become not relevant. If you are not relevant, then you're on a very short shelf life, I would say. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Gordon, we're really excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Todd. So where in the world are you today that we're recording you from? Today, I'm at home in Singapore, where it is as relentlessly, simultaneously sunny, rainy and humid as you would expect sitting on the equator. Yeah, yes, yes. We had a little preamble before we recorded uh, all about uh, living in really, really humid places. Um, I'm impressed. You know, you you must be indoors because you are wearing a nice uh, a nice coat, a uh, nice jacket. So I was I was told in the invitation to dress up because this would be recorded. So you know, this is you are welcome. Yeah, we always do that. And I'm I'm wearing a branded golf shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't outdress our, our uh, and I never could anyway, uh, our, our kind guests for coming on the show. Real quick, a uh, quick introduction from you about the work that you do. So uh, I'm Gordon Domnija. I am I'm British, as some of your um, viewers and listeners will be able to tell from the accent. Um, I stumbled into advertising and media um, some years ago after university uh, in a broad attempt to find something that would fit my zero lack of 
any sort of vocational or useful practical uh, degree, having done an arts degree. Uh, so I replied to a uh, newspaper advert, little classified, uh, in something called a Media Guardian, and uh, which was a supplement back then, and uh, got into this. And uh, since then, I have been in uh, advertising last you know a good grounding in uh, soho london based ad world for for many years and then moved to china in um, in 2008 and um, basically made the whole chinese economy skyrocket with what we did in advertising ah excellent uh legendary intro i love it uh <laughs> tell me a little bit more though you said and then ended up in china can i get some details on how that actually went down yeah, of course. I mean, back in that day, like you know, 2008, I, I don't think there were many people who really thought about going to China. It was still quite a, a, a novel thing. Um, so uh, out of the blue, a, a headhunter contacted me. Uh, at the time, I was working for a independent um, communications agency. So really focused on um, startups, uh, challenger brands, you know, trying to do yeah, you know, trying to really like make maximum impact with really tiny budgets against massive competitors. You know, I was working in like you know, in things like the drinks industry, the male grooming industry, all of these like startups, these like owner, you know, um, owner entrepreneurs. So it was really, it was really exciting, and it and and it was a, you know, we, we were very early into the power of like word of mouth and and, and communication in that way to drive business. You know, to drive brand like uh, brand noise in, in a world that was dominated by, you know, TV and spending huge amounts of money on sharing voice. So this is what I, I, I was doing, you know, just creating impact for brands. And uh, someone just called me and said, right, do you want to move to China? Because they're going through this massive growth stage. There's like, you know, um, IP is the next big thing. Branded content's the next big thing. You know, UGC and word of mouth is the next big thing. They don't have people who do that. That's what you're doing here. Go to China. So, you know, in in those days, got me on a plane. There I am in business class. Boom, like you know, and and I don't know that that first point of landing in in China, and you just like the cities and the scale of it all, and like you know, this is before it really expanded even, and you land and go, this is the future, and and I think it literally had me from the point I touched down in the airport, and it was just like, look, this is this is it, and it was it, uh, there was something about it as well because you remember two thousand eight was just before the the Beijing Olympics, the first one, you know. <clears throat> And there was just this real amazing sense that this was, this was a, you know, something was going to happen here, you know, that something really, really amazing was going to happen here. And, and that, that, that's what took me there. I think that, that look, see, it was, I, ne I never looked back. It was just like, this is, this is definitely it. This is the future. I remember when I landed for the first time, I thought I really need to get into the crane business because <laughs> <laughs> that was all I saw, either that or elevators. Uh, I feel like at some point, 80% of the world's elevators being installed were in China at some point. And I, and I, and I think I'm not wrong. I, I heard something, um, uh, some audacious number like that. But as we always say on the show, you know, the speed of business in China and the speed of growth and the speed of change and adoption and innovation, the whole thing, it, it's, it's something that just has to be kind of almost boots on the ground to be understood, which is why we have this podcast talking to people like you. Huh. Okay. Let's go back. Uh, China. Um, September 2008, you joined Mindshare, mm -hmm. right? So yep. if you don't mind, paint, us, paint for us a picture of what the marketing landscape was like. And, and if you can recall, you know, the types of campaigns maybe that, that tend to be resonating with audiences back then. I think the, the key thing to remember is that you had this sort of like perfect storm of like an opening up of, of, of China, but also you had this uh, mass 
demographic movement from like a very rural based like country and economy into a very urban one. And that happened at such a rapid pace. I mean, you know, literally when I got there, like the majority of people in China were still living in, in, in what we would call a, a, a rural environment. And the investment from the government, the investment from infrastructure, from like from companies, it was all directed at, you know, urbanization. At, at this rapid pace, but also in terms of like driving people from what they'd see, you know, what we'd see as, as poverty into a consumer middle class. And so suddenly you have at, at that time, 300, 400, 500 million people being driven from like, you know, a predominantly rural existence into a, uh, into a urban and consumer middle class existence. So on the one hand, you, you know, when you, when you're on the ground and you're there, you really feel the energy that that, that, that provided that everyone, I, anyone I encountered like anywhere, not just Shanghai, but Shanghai is its own little bubble as, as, as we all know, but everywhere people felt like they were going somewhere. People felt like they could achieve and, 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 you know, people really thought like, you know, I'm one step or one generation away from being incredibly rich because the signs were all around them. You know, there were people getting rich and everything. Exactly, you say, like, you know, here's a guy who runs an elevator company. Suddenly, like, he has an order for like, you know, ten million elevators. Yeah. Right? You are going to get rich, right? You know, there are, you know, the guys producing like ring pulls on cans. The guy, you know, all of these guys. Suddenly, there are millionaires and billionaires everywhere, and everyone fe feels that like, you know, they're next in line for that. There is no reason why it can't happen to them. And I think there's a bit of a retrospective Chinese dream that that has been sort of fitted to that. But you could feel it. You know, the guy who's shining shoes, like, you know, outside, like, you know, he, he expects to be rich. You know, he's not there. He's not a shoe shiner. He is like, you know, someone who will be rich, like, you know, at some point. But this is his, you know, this is a journey he's on. So I think yeah. you can't underestimate that energy that was in, you know, in, in China at that time. And it was really hard to articulate to people. But you go, like, something's happening here because everyone believes in it, especially coming from quite mature and, you'd say, um, countries like, you know, I came from the UK and, you know, social mobilities, you know, while people talk about it, it, it wasn't really a thing. You know, you're pretty much, there's very few people who'd move between like, you know, who were able to just like leap from this. Even the people who were doing well, they all had some backing or they all like, you know, had something which was like, or, or knew somebody who could get them there. In China, it didn't feel like that, you know, and at least that's the feeling. And that's the belief of the, like, you know, everywhere I went, every country, every market, everywhere. So I think that that's a really important thing to, to sort of like put into place because yeah. without that context, it's really difficult to understand how the next 10, 15 years played out and why it played out like it did. Yeah, so, good baseline. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if, if I look back, you know, for, you know, it's a, you know, 2008 from a marketing perspective, right? on the one hand, it's a completely different world. You know, just because of the technology and the technology, you know, it's quite difficult to put that aside, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you look at anything, because it has just dominated the way everything has moved. Right? You got in front of me. I was going to my next question and I'm, I will ask you, I'm taking technology off the table. You can't use that. But, yeah, go ahead. I'll get back to that then. But, but literally, like, if you think about it, you know, it's a completely different. world. 2008, you know, from a marketing communications perspective, TV dominated. Okay, TV, like, you know, this is how you communicated to people. Now, there is a reason for that. You know, like, uh, you're, you're talking about 500 million people move, suddenly having access to TVs. You know, they suddenly had fridges. 
Now you imagine, you know, the the, the but you know, this is a you know, it, it seems sort of like strange to us, like you know, because these are things that we've lived in, with for many years. But suddenly, like you know, if you say five hundred million people now have a fridge, what possibilities does that open up in terms of products? In terms of accessibility of what you can use, what you can consume, and then if you add like you know the supply of those products into that, because suddenly people can consume that, suddenly like you know the world's opened up to so many people. So then, what does television become? Television becomes that sort of thing in the home that tells you about all of these products. So you're in, you you have this you know opportunity to communicate with hundreds and hundreds. Of, I mean, the scale is just unfathomable, really. Like you know and. And, you know, you have a medium which is doing that. You know, I mean, t you know, when I was there, like, at that stage, TV probably took 78% of the of the paid media budget. That's incredible, right? You know, across, like, you know, thousands of, like, you know, channels across the different layers of national, provincial, regional, local, all playing their part, but essentially all doing the same thing, delivering that message into, into people's homes. And, and that was the primary means because, you know, at that time, and we'll probably come on to this, like, you know, because strangely, not a lot has changed other than the technology. But at that time, uh, the most important thing was to get your brand name known. And that was true whether you're an international brand or whether you're a domestic brand. What you need to do is just people know your name yeah? because invariably people would try it. Yeah? You didn't have to try much harder than like get your name out there. So you had, you know, marketing was focused on incredible amounts of repetition. Right? And, and by repetition, I mean, e even in the communication, just say the brand name. There was a template. Say the brand name, like, you know, five seconds in, if you haven't said the brand name and it hasn't flashed up on the screen with a logo, it's like you're, you're lost already. So just flash it up, tell them over and over again about the brand and, you know, make sure you do that every ad break, every ad break. And that is how you got into people's homes. That's how you got into people's minds because, you know, only takes a fraction of that 500 million people to, I'll just try that. Wow, you're you're hitting everything already. I mean, like you know, in in many ways, you know, going, yeah, we did such a great job. We sold so much. Going, I mean, you would have struggled back then not to do a good job, right? You would have struggled not to sell any product because people were inquisitive. Because suddenly the world has opened up to them. They have access to a product they never had. They're going to try it. It might not, you know, it might be rubbish. It might never, you know, it might never take. But you've got trial. And when you have, when you talk about scale of that size. Trial's the only thing you need at that stage because you've just got so many consumers coming into the market that that's that's okay. Even even if the brand promise isn't fulfilled, or even if there isn't a brand promise, you're still you know you you're you're still getting into people's homes. You're getting into people's baskets. People are purchasing, you know, and that was true whether you're a toothpaste, whether you're a car, whether you're a mobile handset, whatever it is. It's just like you know, make sure you people are aware of who you are. Because there is a chance that there will be a trial, and I think that that was, you know, very, very much how how uh, marketing, how the marketing landscape looked like. Presence and consistency, and like just being there was so much more important than either having a story, having a brand, having a purpose. All of these things that you know a lot of us take for granted when we've worked in a in a marketing yeah. and branding and communications. Like, yeah, it's sort of like that's not so important. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present. And if you're present, there is a very good chance that that sticks in people's minds. I mean, some of the most annoying ads in the world were created there, you know, and that's that's just how it was done because that's that stuck. You know, people, you know, didn't have a sophistication. I mean, I remember having conversations with with like Unilever marketing leads at that time, where we were trying to encourage them to use digital, 
I mean, can you imagine? This is 2008. This isn't like trying. <laughs> this isn't like trying. Yeah, try. We should have some exactly. We should have some digital on our plan. And their response would be, but then that would decrease my share of voice on TV. You know, if I decrease my effective voice on, sh- on TV by putting money here, like what's the impact on, on our brand? And like, and at that stage, measurement and you know, and attribution was still pretty difficult on that. So say, like, well, you know, so I'm taking some of the way that I know. And these are conversations happening in every, like, you know, in every boardroom and every marketing meeting. Take that away. What does it actually give me? You know, you, you know, my competitors aren't doing that. And like, you know, and you're sort of going, you're going but I want to do something really exciting and innovative. And this is the future. And going, like, might be the future, but I need to sell now. If I reduce my share of voice, there is a very clear correlation that, like, you know, my share of voice is, is equivalent to my share of market. I reduce that. That comes down as well. Da, da, da. Then, then what happens? Then we start spiraling. You know, and that wasn't how they looked at it. And it, it is quite interesting, I think, the parallels we still see with marketing in China. As in, like, you know, it's still incredibly short term like that. And you still have to convince about what will this, any change that I make to a plan, any deviation, what is that going to look like in terms of, like, you know, what it does for my business in the immediate term, not just in the future term. That's really interesting. And let me see if I can unpack what I'm thinking to try to ask, because next up, I want to talk to you about the evolution of effective marketing over the last 15 years. And then, like I said, taking you know technology off the table. But maybe there's something interesting here based on what you were saying, where you and I were talking about corporate and being a corporate. And I don't think necessarily if you love taking risks, you don't spend your life in corporate. Right. The, the two are somewhat antithetical in a way. And I'm trying not to offend <laughs> too many people here, but you know, <laughs> you know it, 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 in a way. So it's surprising to hear that it is still difficult to convince people to get off the plan, to get maybe outside of this has always worked. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Versus if we don't try, if we don't innovate, if we're not taking risks, we will get left behind at some point by somebody else, maybe not the competitors to the left and right of us. But if we look down, there's people coming up and they're the ones that are the biggest threat. Talk to me a little bit. You don't have to use what I just said, but that change in effective marketing over 15 years. So, I, I, I mean, there is a really interesting subject matter here because it's if you look at then you know know, not taking technology off the table yet sorry but you know if if you look at the job that tv ads used to do you know drive like you know high awareness prompt and action actually you know tv was like you know it was pretty much direct response if you if you go back to that time because like i understand this i then go and there's a direct response and i'll go and purchase this or like you know or at least consider purchasing it so you know that that's how that worked but that you know, that moved from TV very quickly. It then moved to online video platforms. Okay? So suddenly you have online video platforms. So that took the, the place of a lot of TV. Then you move into like celebrity endorsers. Okay? So like, you know, then suddenly they, you have these celebrity endorsers. They are playing that role that TV played. Then you move to e-commerce, social commerce platforms. You move to influencers. Um, and then you move to probably unsustainable mass discounting and incentivization, right? Which is what yeah. a lot of companies have done to gain traction and whatever else. And that is, you know, and that's still the case. Then you go to in-game advertising, you know, following audiences. Where are people spending their time? Where are these, where can I actually meet these masses of people? Then you move to, you know, the, the metaverse, right? You know, you're, you're not moving there because you feel it is, <clears throat> you know, 
because it, yeah, it's the platform that's innovative, is, is what I'd say. The communication itself isn't. If you see what influencers are saying, if you see what we're doing in game, if you're seeing that again, how's that necessarily different to what we did in magazines like, you know, 50 years ago? Contextualizing advertising around a space where people find interest, right? Here's an ad which is like, you know, like, which is adjacent or literal within that category or industry, and it sort of sits there. It's not so different, right? Like, you know, and, 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 it, but it's only the technology and the delivery that has changed. Now, you know, advertisers like brands are, are often very, very reactive. You know, they see like upstarts and, you know, and, and, and that's why, you know, I still get a lot of energy talking to, to startups, you know, like talking about the difference between, you know, the, talking in the corporate world and, and the startup and the, and the VC world. You know, once you start to get that, because they're so passionate about their product. Yeah. Not the corporate aren't, but they're passionate about the product. They're passionate about like, you know, and they don't have the bucks to like go and like, you know, compete or, yeah, in every platform in every way. So going, right. So how do I do this? How do I gain like, you know, fame, notoriety, you know, traction, you know, with, with an audience. And so, you know, that's why, you know, particularly in China, you'll go, Oh, wow. Well, how did like Meituan do that? Or how did Perfect Diary do that? Or how did like, you know, how did Luckin do this? You know, because, I mean, I remember working for like L'Oreal in, in, in China and exactly to your point, we're there going like, I'm looking at um, competitive like data within that industry. And there are companies taking market share, not, not massive, but here's 1% here or like, you know, one and a half percent there or 0.8% there. They're taking like chunks out of market share. They've got no measurable advertising spend, no measurable marketing spend. Going, right, well, how do they do that? How are these companies doing that? And that's where suddenly the, the reaction comes going, right, we need to stay ahead of this. We need to stay ahead of these trends. Not, not because, you know, it, that 0.8 is going to make a massive difference. But if you have all of those and they're all like, you know, doing something to target a specific niche of your customer audience, when you're a massive brand, like, you know, you're going to get picked off, right? You, 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 the only place you go is, is, is downwards. Yeah. I've got like 30% yeah. market share. Right. Well, you know, you're going to get picked off here and you're not even going to know they're doing it because they'll have localized distribution or they'll have D to C. They'll have something which is like totally like, you know, alien to the way that you've constructed your business and your route to market. Right. And that is how, you know, and, and that is how those brands have, have grown. Now there's a whole nother conversation about, right. They can get to a certain stage then, you know, because then what's their end goal? You know, what is like, you know, what are they trying to achieve through that? And I think this would probably be very interesting to a lot of the, you know, the, the brands and the investors who, who, who um, listen, subscribe to you, because you've got to know what, you know, what does that success look like? And for a lot of those, it's like, right, I get to a certain stage, I get a load of funding and going, right, well, where do I go from here? Like, you know, if you look at what happened to Perfect Diary, you're going like, great, we've got all these users, like, you know, and they're, you know, going, now I'm going to sell them some really premium product. And no, you're not. Because those customers that you have and where you've got to, they are not interested in that. They have joined you for this. You have hit your niche and maybe you've hit your ceiling on this yeah, at that time. So how do you reinvent this? How do you actually turn into like whether a, it's a purposeful or it's a or it's a, you know, or a more premium product? You know, that's a big ask because actually your success has come somewhere else and someone else can take that space very, very quickly. Right. And suddenly you've got like a load of funding. You've got a load of investors going, right, well, where's my returns? What's the next stage of growth? And you're going like, well, we might have just plateaued. And like, that's not what you want to hear. And I, but I think that to me is like, you know, also understanding that like, you know, there are limitations in terms of some of these marketing strategies because you're still very much then focused on, on what is a niche audience in the scale market. 
So it, it, it's it's really interesting, like you know, it, it's a really interesting subject matter, I think. And then you see that, like you know, you know, the, the, the brands, you know, the brands that succeed, particularly in China, you still need scale. You know, you can't even make a dent if you don't have scale. So even though you know, and I've, I've made it sound really sort of like glib that nothing has changed you know, over like <laughs> over fifteen years, but you know, the emphasis is still on like delivering scale. Why are you in game? Because there's like five hundred million gamers in China. You know, and they're in that space. You have to communicate with them. Why are you on like, you know, why, why are you on these platforms? Why are you on the social commerce platforms? Isn't it? Because this is where people spend their time. This is like, you know, this is 50% of their daily online time is spent on these channels. You know, you have to be in there in some way. Sometimes you don't control it particularly, but sometimes, you know, you, you have to allow your brand to live in these spaces or you become not relevant. If you are not relevant, you know, that is, you know, <laughs> then you're on a very short shelf life, I would say. Yeah, I don't think the question should ever be, why should we be there? The question should be, why are they there? And understand yeah. that better. Because like you said, with Perfect Diary, we may know they're there, but that's not enough. Because if we know they're there and we go there, and we're not successful, we're not going to be successful because we didn't take the next step to understand why they were there and meet them at that point of interest or incentive in their why of being there and did it match up with us being there? Because like you said, if we try to sell them goods or services or something while they're there, but that's not why they're there, and they're specifically there almost antithetical to being sold something while they're there, that was their safe space, and now you've entered it, well... Absolutely. And like, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should is the thing. And therefore, and that's why we are having conversations about the different technologies in, in play now. How do, you know, do people want to see your washing powder here? Are they interested in like, you know, <laughs> is this what they're thinking about at this stage? And, the, you know, and while, you know, you know, people want to talk about that. And I think that's, that's the thing with, with, uh, with marketers as well. You know, um, not all of them, but, you know, some, they're very focused on what's new. And what's it? It's not necessarily what's right. Do you have a product that's actually that fits for this? Because again, if you go into like a meeting with like you know marketing, they want to do something new. They want to do something innovative. Like you know, they're going like, tell me about NFTs. Tell me about the metaverse. I want a virtual influencer. I want this, this, and this. Going okay, but if you're selling a, a washing powder, like what role does it play in the, in this communication? How does it help you other than it's something that you want to do and you're driving you're driving this tactic which is a tactic. It's not, you know, as, as part of your communication plan, this is, you know, that's, it's, it's for you. It's not necessarily for the brand. And like, you know, and I, and I think a lot of people get caught up in that because you have to have that, you know, and it's like, I'm right. You know, I, I've had dictates, um, you know, from, from global you know, companies, won't say who, but they say, right. Um, we, we've got to deliver, you know, uh, 80% of our marketing communication has got to be delivered programmatically or like in, in precision. And, uh, and so, Okay, well, that, that's great, but why? Why, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, and in some markets, you know, like, I mean, you, you understand, like, you know, how, how diverse this region is and can, I can, like, yeah, yeah, so this is what we need to do. And like, you know, and it's just, you know, non negotiable. Okay, great. Then you go to a market like Thailand, you go, right, okay, how much of your sales are through e commerce? You'd say, uh, 0.6%. Well, okay, fantastic. How much are through bricks and mortar? The rest of it. Great. Okay. And like, you know, where do people get their information from? TV. So still TV, right? You know, and it's going, okay. So while this is great, why would I need to restructure, you know, 
my entire team and like your entire delivery system to something which may pay dividends in the future. But in the short term, you know, and this is me, like, you know, and, uh, as, as someone supporting rather than like, than the, the rebrand owner telling me, like, you know, that we're short term. I'm going, you know, you've got to balance it. You know, and sometimes, and that, that's the role we have to play. It's saying, like, look, yeah, that's a great ambition, but there are stages to get in there. And, like, you know, global dictates do not make that happen. You know, why are we in that space? What do we hope to achieve in that space? How does it fit into the holistic thing that we're doing? Is it the right thing for us? And is the timing right? You know, in terms of level of maturity of our brand, of our customers, and of the market itself. You know, if, if you can't fulfill and you can't, like, you know, some markets are just not set up. Like, you know, it's like, you know, in Thailand, it's still a predominantly rural country. And like, right, so there, there becomes infrastructure and logistical issues to being able to do that, even if, like, the will is there and, like, you know, uh, and so I, I think that that to me is, you know, in, in everything that we look at and all the ways that marketing communications have changed, it's still the same. What role does it play? You know, where where is like, you know, and you can't look at this, you know, to, you know, and, and in China, it will be very different to other markets because the level of maturity, because the level of sophistication, because of the, the way that consumers behave and expect to behave, expect to take in um, you know, information and how they then act on it. It's completely different. You know, there are different stages of development. And therefore, you know, you have to think about that. And that's that's true whether you're looking at different markets in Asia, whether you're looking at China or even within China. You know, there's still some element of that, you know, saying, right, well, what's your delivery system? You know, what platforms do people want to use in these markets? You know, and like what products are they comfortable talking to a, an AI generated like, you know, chatbot and which ones, you know, really require human support and help? You know, it's going to be very different if you're in the mum and baby space. Then you're, then you're in the mobile phone, like, you know, gaming technology space, right? Those, but, and yet, I think, and this is the sort of like funny thing for me, when you see the output plans, particularly in China, uh, it, because everything becomes very tactical very quickly, plans look the same. Marketing calendars look, look pretty much the same. Here's what we're doing on this. Here's what we're doing on this. Here's our metaverse play. Here's, uh, and like the platforms all look the same. The, you know, the, the outputs technically look the same. I'm like, right. Well, you know, it, that, and that's quite interesting because so much, and, and I think in this, you know, rambling through going back to my original point about like, you know, there is, you know, an argument to be made that not much has actually moved on. You know, the platforms and like listening has changed. It's not CCTV anymore, but you know, here's, here's what I'm doing on Tencent. Here's what I'm doing on Ali. Here's what I'm doing this. These are the, da, da, da. that's, that's what the plan looks like. And that looks the same, as I say, if you're a washing pad or if you're a car, if you're like a mobile phone handset. Yeah? And that, that is the thing that you got to break through. That is, you know, then that is when you get to, right, well, how much of this is effective? How much of this do I really know is, is what I need to be doing for the band? How does this relate to my strategy? How does this relate to like, you know, my, my plan for this brand? No, not just for this campaign, but going forward and like, you know, the expectations that I have, for what, you know, th this brand will do in this country. Trying to get somebody to uh, scan a QR code in print, you may not be able to replicate that well on a highway billboard, unless you're a car insurance company. And then I find that to be actually hilarious. <laughs> of, of, of course, yeah, yeah. of course. And this QR code for 50% off the next six months in car insurance. And I feel like that would be a hilarious billboard if people actually could get the, the tongue-in-cheek humor in that. <laughs> Tell us, if it's not too like confidential or asking too much, some of your favorite campaigns in Greater China that you've been involved with 
and what made them so special or effective for what you guys were doing? I mean, I'm fortunate, you know, having worked for some, you know, really huge agencies that I've worked for some really exciting and innovative brands in China. And, and I think, you know, I really sort of, I, I lucked out a little bit. I mean, um, you know, the, the, you know, for us in this, in this industry, uh, the, the things that you remember aren't, aren't always the things that make loads of money. They're the things that really like that you think have, have changed things in society, have done things which are, you know, which are innovative, which are useful, which are, you know, which you see as adding to society and community. Like, you know, not here I am with my great big, like, you know, vision and like, and, and necessity to, to, to do good. But like, you know, if I if you look at, so someone like Nike, Okay, so I had the great pleasure of working with Nike uh, for many years in China. Now, you know, and the sweet spot for me was between about uh, 2010 and, and 2012, 2013, where we, we just had a number of campaigns, like, you know, including like something that we called Festival of Sport, uh, Festival of Sport in, in, in 2011. Now, this is like a series of truly sort of experiential campaigns, you know, where the engagement of the audience, getting people to participate, you know, and, and creating Nike's position as the leader of participation sports, you know, not a retailer, not someone who sells you shoes, not someone who sells you like, you know, apparel, but someone who encourages you to participate and be the best you that you can be. You know, everyone's an athlete, right? You know, this is this is how we approach everything. Now, I think, you know, that, coming with that sort of purpose, you know, you know, getting, you know, creating these events where people came, participated, engaged with coaches, engaged with peers, engaged with people like, you know, to play sport. You know, at a time when like online gaming was really taking off and there was a real concern about, you know, how the country was going in terms of obesity, in terms of like, I mean, you'll remember there was like quite a few scares, you know, a lot of the big Western brands coming in, fast food and like, you know, and that, that became the new norm, right? I mean, it was, they were everywhere, you know, in, in, in China at that time. And it's like, and, and Nike's play on this was like, you know, come participate, be, be an athlete, you know, be like, you know, be with people. And I think that, that to me, you know, really sort of starting out with a inclusivity of everyone, like, you know, being able to participate, of drawing people into that, you know, of, you know, where participation was the objective rather than rather than sales, you know, and, and the focus on that. What are we doing to get people to participate, to be part of this? Of course, sales are important. Of course, like business is important. But that wasn't what we went into the into those campaigns doing. It was like, you know, how do we get people to take part? And I think to me that that was that was really special. And like you know, just seeing how many people engaged all across the country, how many events took place. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of events. It, you know, that that to me is a, a, a really special feeling. Going and like you know, being part of that. I think you know, you know, when you're a real sort of like hands-on on the ground person, you just love being involved in those sort of things and seeing people like participating, enjoying, and going right. I've done my job here. That's really you know, and that 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 that, that to me was really special. I think the other the other really sort of like big game changer that, that I remember was like uh, I, w- I worked with Land Rover for many years in um, in, in China. Uh, we, when we launched the Evoque uh, here, so it was at 2011, 2012, um, just being able to tap into different insights, you know, around China, around who these consumers are. I mean, Land Rover customer and uh, driver in, in China is about 35 years younger than it is anywhere else in the year in the world, right? You know, it's like that was, but that was so typical of everything, you know, like, and, and here's our talking audience, you know, car ads, like, you know, designed by, um, you know, you know, by committee in China, who traditionally have incredibly wealthy, successful man, yeah, sitting in the back of a long wheelbase saloon, yeah, you know, 
highly attractive partner, wife, I don't know, maybe, but you know, and you know, and that car would then like chauffeur them to their private jet, to their stables and polo country club, to the <laughs> to the opera, because that's what people did, right? That was what a car advert looked like. The Evoke was attempt to come in at a slightly lower price point. It, it was, was a bit of a smaller. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Smaller car, like, you know, self-drive, fun, infuser. I mean, and rather than launch in that way, it was like, and we launched with a, like a, 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 a generated, like specific IP um, anime series. So we built an anime series to like, you know, to, to, <laughs> to sell the car, you know, which had like huge elements of UGC in it. People continued the story, like, you know, kind of like, how's this work for like, because even like, you know, with a lower price point, you're still talking like 400, 500,000 RMB. I mean, like, you know, that's like, you know, 80,000, $90,000. This is not a, you know, a low price point car. But those were the consumers. Yeah. We were anticipating them to be like, you know, at that age group. Here are people like, you know, probably first, second generation wealth got money they've got money to spend they want something like you know how do you actually connect with these people in areas that they want to be connected with you know they don't they're not going to polo they're not sitting in the back of that saloon like you know those aren't their trappings those aren't you know their their cues and so this really sort of shifted it and i think it was it was just so you know refreshing and i think that's that's why those things stick in mind because they're so different to what was happening and like you can do that as a big brand you can do that if you have like the courage of that and say, right, have I actually got an insight that is gonna that is gonna work for this? Do I know my audience well enough? You know, is that audience big enough to drive you know the scale and, and, and the size of like performance that I want for this business? If it is, then like you know, then there's there's plenty of people brave enough to go out and get it. And I think that 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 to me was a really you know brilliant example about how to launch something so completely differently. Yeah, how to think about things, but based on an insight, based on a strategy, based on like understanding, like, you know, what your customers are interested in, where they're going to, and, you know, and what will drive them to think about that vehicle in a different way to what is sitting there in the market. And I, I think I just, I just want to mention one, one more because, uh, you know, what, one of the things that we did in China, like very deliberately, I pivoted the business I was running to focus on, um, on, on tech companies, Chinese up and coming tech companies. You know, so uh, in 2015, um, we became the first agency for Meituan or Meituan Dianping as it, as it was back then. So, so this is like a, you know, for people sitting in the US, more like a Groupon company. I think it, it started as like, you know, a group buy, you know, um, you know, discount, like vouchering, whatever else. And, you know, and, uh, and, and particularly in the area of, uh, of food delivery. You know, which is obviously ubiquitous now, but back then that that wasn't so much of a thing, right? You know, this is is a very different environment. So, you know, at that time they'd never had an agency. They had like um, you know two million like customers a day, like having food delivery. And what I loved about it, you know, and this is a bit more sort of like geeky, like you know, data driven rather than sort of like inspiration driven. But it's like what they told us. It's like right, look, we're going to IPO in three years. Okay, that's the plan. That very single minded ambition, right? This is, we want to make a load of money on this. You get us there. How do you help us get us there? Right? In those three years, we drove their daily orders from 2 million to over 20 million a day. Okay? Now, we did that. How? Like, understanding the data. Understanding that, like, you know, you have to win every day. You know, the competition is super fierce. There were loads of, like, companies all trying to do the same thing now, right? You know, so how do you do this faster? Than, than anyone else? How do you do it better than anyone else? So like, you know, what we use, I mean, it's the first campaign where we really use thousands and thousands of different pieces of copy and creative, you know, which were 
you know, which we could alter every day based on weather, based on like, you know, environment, based on pollution, based on like, you know, and this, like, you know, this whole body of work, we could target not just like on a city basis, not just on an area basis, but on a building basis, you know, like, right, this building here, this is like, you know, like uh, we're going to win in this building today. Yeah, we're going to be Erlama today in this building. This is like, you know, so we're going to target it. Like, you know, as people come in on the, on the metro, we're going to target in the office LCDs. We're going to smash it. Like, you know, we know what the weather's going to be like. We're going to tell them this is what they should be ordering. Boom, boom, boom. They're already ordering their lunch as they're going up in the lift. You know, like, you know, and it was just incredible what we were able to do with that, with the data that they had to be able to target in that way. But again, very single minded. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you'd be there going, what a result. We raised like, you know, four million new customers and and the brand leaders there began. Yeah, that was yesterday, Gordon. What have you done for me today? And like, you know, and it's that mentality. And that stuck with me more than anything about how business is done in China. Going, yeah, that's great. Well done. Like, yeah, that was yesterday. Today, what have you done for me? What are you doing? You know, and that, you know, and, yeah. and, and taking that mentality into how you do business there. Like, you know, if you don't have that, no one looks back and goes, yay, look at how fantastic what I just did was. It's like going, great. Like, you know, that's got you to this point. Right? Now get to the next point because you know I've got to get there in like, you know, by 2018. Now, that's, I think, where a lot of businesses and startups struggle a little bit. Because I don't know if they have that singularity of, of mindset about this is what we need to do. So I, I need to hit every one of these, like, you know, I need to jump every one of these hurdles on the way to get there. Yeah. If I need to get to IPO, this is like the minimum level of like, you know, customers I have to have. This is how many people need to be like, you know, active users every day. This is how many things I've got to sell every day. So to me, that was, you know, that really, you know, and that's something you can take into any business. You know, it's going great. You know, let's, let's all pat ourselves on the back, but let's do what today's work is, you know, and what's, you know, and, you know, and it, so, so I, I really, really enjoyed that. As I say, that's a very much a, a more sort of like geeky, geeky data driven one, but it really shows you. And I, and I hope it explains to people how, uh, how business was done there and how those successful companies, you know, they went to a $7 billion IPO, you know, this is like not bad going, right. You know, and you know, so it's, you know, it, it, those are the things that happens, but that is how they happen. You know, it's like that is the work that goes into making them happen. So you had me chuckle when you mentioned Ulema because I, I know what it is. I just haven't heard it mentioned and I'd forgotten about it. And <laughs> just the name makes me chuckle. Like I literally, I, I, I now am envisioning, I want to start a company here. Because for those who don't know what Ulema translates to, it just means hungry. <laughs> With a question, like that's the mark, yeah. is the question mark. So hungry? And I'm like, I, I'm just seeing myself on a billboard or something, just like all small letters, hungry, question mark. That's our company. What's right. your company name? Hungry? You know, <laughs> but with the inflection to indicate his question. Oh, man, that's so funny. I It just makes me laugh every time I hear, because uh, you could do that. Oh, Lama? Uh, uh, yeah. Chafama? Yeah. But, you know, it, it, literal, literal works. Literal, literal works. A buddy of mine started a company called Juan Mifan. <laughs> Yeah, Juan yeah. Mifan, bowl of rice, you know, it's just like, oh, so funny. But yes, you could. The other thing I wanted to ask, because you mentioned it, uh, you were talking a little bit about like wealth of consumers. So what I found interesting, and I, I, I'm not sure I would know how this broke down in in marketing to this class, this younger class, where in every scope, because you said anime, right? So these guys are playing League of Legends or they're playing Call of Duty or they're playing online games or they're whatever. From most indications, even from what they wear, mostly, if it's not good, but they they seem like 
regular young people until you look at their bank account. So <laughs> in every way, they're just like you and me. And then they've got <laughs> 1 billion times more money yeah. than we do. Um, it's So how does that, did that ever factor into how you did marketing? I mean, it, it's, it, it's funny. I mean, I mean, do they just think the same? So it was the same? They just have more money? To, to some degree, yes. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the one thing, like in China, you, I was always the poorest man in a room in every focus group, right? I mean, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> it's just like wow, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but you know, but this is yeah, because it, it, it does because it, it it actually affects everything from you know from from the marketing to you know just the practical things about how people buy money. I mean, like you know, when I was we were you know, the, the first days on, on Land Rover, you know, I'd go to the, uh, I'd go to the showrooms, whatever. And I remember one day I was there and uh, someone just came in, just like, going, what's the most expensive car you got? That one going, right, I'll have it. And, um, and like, didn't look like anything, you know, just like, you know, it comes in and then a bunch of his helpers come in carrying like Louis Vuitton bags, just stuff with cash. And, you know, the highest denomination you have is like a hundred RMB. So what's that like $14, whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's, and you know how much the, that, that car was? 1.7 million RMB. So, like the, the way they're set up in, in in the showrooms, even and like you know, is it, it looks like a bank because essentially you've just got like does the bank tellers just going as, as as the money rolls out. That's how people buy. So you want to make that experience a good one, right? You know, so it actually you you actually build out your infrastructure there because people are going to spend time there. People are like you know they spend more time waiting for the money to be counted than choosing the car. So I'm going, I just want that one. Yeah, that's it. So you know, that, it, it, it does plan it. Going like these people pay for pay for stuff in cash. You know, I mean, not so much anymore. There's obviously a lot, a lot of restrictions on that sort of thing. But that is how it was. That was how it was done, and that was completely normal. That's why you know you have the bank tellers, you have the system. But, yeah. but even in, in terms of in, in terms of marketing, of course, because uh, while you know this is still very new money, you know. So the level of, you know, and this isn't derogatory in any way, but the level of sophistication in, in anything isn't, you know, it, it's it's not as we would expect. Like, you know, you only have to, you know, and, and, and now as, as travel's opened up again, you know, the boutiques in Paris, you know, it's like the, the customers that come from China, like, you know, and trust me, they are the ones who are going to be spending the money and buying everything in that in that shop. But, you know, their behaviors, their way of like, you know, they, they're not used to, you know, behaving that way. They'll just go and go, well, I want one of everything. And you're still going, Wow, like you know, this is a you know, it's so it's that was easy, <laughs> right? But yeah, it, it, it was, but that that still happens, you know, and that, that would you know, and that will keep happening because people have money or they've had like new money, and now even with the pent up sort of like you know frustration of not being able to spend, but you wouldn't you wouldn't guess that from seeing the queues outside like you know the the luxury fashion houses in in, in all across China, you know that people are, are are spending money, but that's how they spend it. They spend it in, in very different way so again the communication that you see for brands you know even very traditional very what, what you would say are you know highly controlled around brand image you know you don't get more highly controlled than like you know a louis vuitton or a, or a chanel but how they communicate in china or the allowance they give to people to about how they use that brand in china in social platforms in commerce platforms around how they talk about it peer to peer, you know you've, you've got to let that go you know, you, you've got to like release some of your controlling instincts because these are the people, how they use it is not how you tell them to use it. 
you know, like, you know, even like, you know, in terms of communications, like, you know, we mentioned that about, you know, the average age of a Land Rover buyer. But, you know, the same is true of any luxury product. You know, like I was I was taking my, my daughter to school. There are, there are seven-year-olds with Chanel handbags. I mean, like, you know, this is not a normal environment, right? You know, this is so, so you know, how, you know, the idea that, like, you know, luxury handbags or luxury watches or these things are something at the pinnacle of your career, you know, when you've achieved everything you want to achieve, you reward yourself and it's self-reward. Absolutely not the case. Why do I wait, like, you know, for 50 years to reward myself? I'm going to reward myself now. I'm going to go in there and, like, you know, I've wanted to, and that's that's how it works. And I think that's a very, very different mindset for a lot of people to get into until you see it, until you see how they consume. You know, it's like luxury retail is no different, you know, in many ways to like, you know, shopping at the supermarket. You know, because you're not, a lot of these people, they don't make a choice between these things going, well, that might be the one I buy today. I will still come back and get that one tomorrow. It's not like I've got this one and that's my lifelong purchase, like, you know, my lifelong Hermes purchase. It's not because most of these people can buy another one tomorrow if they want to, you know. So, so it does, it does change how you communicate or the level of control and the level of, you know, um, you know, discretion you give to people in terms of how they perceive the brand, how they want to talk about the brand, how they use the brand. No, that is a very different thing, I think, to how we've traditionally marketed and, and segmented our audiences in, um, you know, in, in, in the West. I got another fun one for you. Thinking about mm. technology. So this time we get to lean in on technology. And, you know, 2007, the iPhone comes out, right? And this is now the start of the wave of a billion people in one country getting access to yeah. the Internet. So now, now we can go to third, fourth, fifth, sixth tier cities. Okay. So I, I'm curious what that looked like when that just washed over and, and how that affected or impacted you. And did you have to adjust or even create new types of, of marketing or messaging or empathy? for consumer classes if you were going from tier one and and then this is what we're going to do for tier four mm. tier five my assumption naively probably so is that it it has to be different right like this is a completely different type of person right or am i wrong your thoughts you're right and wrong how about that like, you know it's like you know, it's, <laughs> i'll take it but, <laughs> because it, even within uh you know, those cities, you still have, you know, layers of sophistication. You still, you know, like in the same way you do with like, you know, Shanghai, you know, so the complexity isn't just like, oh, homogeneously, everyone in Shanghai behaves like this and everyone in like, you know, in whatever Xinjiang behaves like this. It's like you can't do that. You know, it's not really a, you know, it, there is no standard behavior. I think, you know, so, so for us, it, it's always going to be a case of, you know, there are, like-minded people so so for some products if you're like you know um let's let's take uh imported like milk formula or something like that right so what is actually going to drive a consumer to do that you just say all oh, right well there might be a bigger concentration in scale in tier one cities because they have more access because they've had more you know um uh, visibility to to foreign brands they're much more used to seeing them and they they maybe have developed a different level of trust because they've been using them in other walks of life throughout their sort of development as a consumer Right. But that's not to say there aren't people who in, you know, 
tier four, five, six cities who say, well, actually, you know, I don't trust this, like, you know, this provider, you know, I want, you know, I, I believe that this has better, you know, um, nutritional or like, you know, developmental elements to it because of the technology that's placed where I have a certain disposition to, you know, German brands over this. So those people exist. You can still find those. And this is why, you know, like the, the precise targeting that we have, like, you know, in, in terms of being able to identify customers, you know, it, it's a, a lot less blunt than saying, look, third tier people behave like this. You know, because a lot of those third tier people actually aspire to be first tier people. You know, and they want and they want to be first in the in the in that environment. So you can't discount all of that. Now, is it, you know, economically and financially viable to target there or do you concentrate there? Those are the questions that you have. Like, you know, and that is why you build out your marketing plan and say, like, right, where where are these audiences? That, you know, because well, we've done a great job in terms of developing personalization. At scale, he says, and I'm still going to do that. It's still, per, it's, it's still a tactic, yeah. And like, if you're a mass brand in China wanting to achieve mass things, you know that that is a tactic to convert. It's not necessarily a, like you know this is like you know that's my strategy. It has to be part of what your strategic like outlook is. What what's your plan to like get to that? Yeah, there's going to be some people like you know, and I can identify those all over the country, and they're going to be everywhere, right? And we can't just think, oh, they're just going to sit in these like free cities because, you know, everyone else is a complete alien. It's not the case, you know, but and now we can, we have the tools and sophistication to be able to find them. But that's more of like the conversion stage. Like, you know, where is the mass audience? Where is like, you know, mass communication? And where is like, you know, those are still factors that, that, that need to be played. And some things are going to be much more, um, you know, much more focused on, on certain tiers than others. Now, the, you know, the, the thing to overlay on it and the, probably the most important thing is, Actually, your distribution and availability. Now, while you know a lot of things have been you know democratized, I would say by uh, you know by building you know, you know at, at the time that people got those phones, at the time that people got internet access, you know you also had the rise of platforms and logistics. You know, like I mean, you know you had Taobao, which is cheap and everything. You had you know Jingdong, which is actually I, I can get it to you within like you know whatever a day wherever you are. Like, you know, I don't, you remember those adverts, those people on zip lines, you know, going into like, you know, into rural jungles and like, and yeah. this is how they do it, like within one day. So there were companies built up. So logistics suddenly, like, you know, made everything more, more possible, right? So, I mean, I remember like, you know, this probably about 2010 you know, gap when they entered, they didn't want to go on the platforms, you know, because there was, it was still a little bit wild west, like, you know, when you looked at Tower I mean, you know, there was no brand protection, right? But so they, a lot of companies wanted to build up their own e commerce sites. And, you know, they only had like maybe five, six stores, you know, between like uh, Beijing and, uh, and and Shanghai. And within like a week of opening their online store, they'd sold in every province in China, in every major city. You know, suddenly it was like, wow, that's opened up a lot of doors, right? You know, and that's, you know, that's just one example of that being able to happen because like suddenly the logistics were there, the availability was there, the, you know, accessibility through people's like mobile phone handsets was there. And when that all combines, suddenly opens up a lot of, you know, a lot of different areas. So like, you know, so, and I think that's, you know, that, that, that's talking about 10, 12 years ago. Now, like, you know, the, the situation is so many people consume in so many ways. There's so much data about this that you can find all of these people or people like these people everywhere. And I think, you know, that has changed not, not just in terms of like the tactics part, but for me, the more important thing is the insights about like, you know, you can't look at things as homogeneously as, as we have done in the past and just like, you know, bucket this and bucket that. And like, you know, and actually going, right, 
this is much more interesting in terms of insight as to who these people are, uh, which gives you directions as to who you should be talking to and who you should be targeting and what your communication should look like, because these are the things they are looking for from your product. So it's the insight part rather than the conversion part, which me as a, you know, as a, as a marketer, I would find much more interesting. Yeah? You're always going to sell stuff and there's always conversion. But to me, how do you use that insight? How do you use like, you know, what, the information you're getting to really understand your customers, what they're interested in, and therefore what your product development should look like and what your communication should look like? What's actually driving that? It reminds me, I was going to even say after the last part that we were talking about, used to work with one of the top online men's magazine, Ezine, in China. And these guys were rabid. They had they had a, a, a war room where they had all their articles and they had everything up there. And they would they were by the hour measuring consumption and hit rates and open rates and read throughs and, and percentage of you know whatever. They had all their markers. And if something wasn't converting at the rate that it needed to convert within you know within two hours, depending like they had different different timelines for different times of the day when things were posted. And if it didn't convert on the numbers that they needed to convert at, uh, they changed the graphic and then they went and it, and then they changed the title and then they rewrote the first paragraph. Right. And, and then they, and then it was gone. And within one day, something could have been totally produced end to end and it was up and it was gone because it didn't convert. You're gone. You're out. That was, that was it. It, it. Crazy. But even some of the really big brands, I mean, like I remember, you know, even before the e-commerce boom, working with L'Oreal, and it was like, you know, they would know, um, you know, if they launched a, like a Maybelline lipstick, if that hadn't like hit a certain sales target by like, you know, within like three to five days, it was that responsive advertising that, and that was even with TV, it was that responsive, you know. Then that that's still China is yeah. still a market of responsiveness. You know, and that's why we keep going, man. Like, you know, and that's why we, you know, I always end up in like conversations between, oh, what's the balance between brand and like, you know, and, and, and performance? And there isn't one. It's about performance because this is still an incredibly responsive market. It's like, and, and therefore, you know, you know if something's working or not, you know, very quickly. And that's what your metrics yeah. look like. You know, so they'd say, well, they'd pull that like campaign within five days. That's like a TV campaign. You're going like, wow, you know, like, you know, that this isn't working because you're not getting the footfall to the stores to buy that specific product. That's how responsive that was. And this is going back again, like, you know, 10, 15 years. That's, you know, that was what Chinese consumption looked like. Yeah. If things had been seen and there was no action on it, you know, in certain categories, you know, whether it's working or not, you pull that, you go to the next one. And now it's like, you know, that, that was like three to five days. Now you can tell, you know, it's like minutes whether this is like you know whether this is working or not and that that's how a lot of companies operate i mean it's, it becomes incredibly obsessive though right i mean you know you, you exactly to your example yes. I've, I've worked with people who are like you know like brand owners like you know martin and like ceos who i know outside of work and like they literally just sit there like you know on, on weekends and just looking at trackers on their phones like going, oh, okay. then like head office oh like something's happened like you know like we're tracking two percent down like you know and it's like and it's Saturday afternoon, we're at a barbecue, you know, like, you know, like, you know, it will still be there, like, you know, after your burger, right? But that, it becomes yeah. incredibly obsessive. And a lot of China in terms of marketing and how, how it works, so focused on the result, so focused on that, like, you know, on, on, on being able to deliver like that. And it's, um, you know, I mean, it's good, but it's bad, right? You know, and it's uh, and that and that's why you know the you know the the reputation of a lot of companies in terms of China, in terms of how work is conducted, how hard work is, 
you know, I mean, unless you've worked in China, it's very hard to understand just how, you know, intense it really is. I mean, it really, really is. Hence the podcast. Hence having like people like you on here. I want to double down on that in a, in a way. One of the things was I wanted to kind of say, how hard is it to have a conversation as you're bringing in a new brand saying, uh, yeah, well, uh, what's your big plan? Uh, no, big plan. Uh, we're going to try this and we're going to try that. We're going to try that. Uh, and if it doesn't work, we're going to change these few things. And if those don't work, we're going to change these few things. And then if it doesn't work, we're just going to scrap it. Okay, well, then wouldn't that have just been a massive waste of money? And then you're going to be like, well, no, but the data that that what we would have gathered in the learning and the insights is immeasurably, you know, that's that's priceless. And that's going to factor into the next stage. But I can't imagine how hard that must be for some people coming in to that area of the world to try to hear somebody like you. All, and I know I put a ton of words in your mouth, you probably never said in your life. But, you know, to have to, you know, to, to be approached with that that type of of this is our strategy and they're thinking that's no strategy at all that's just like that's just suicide how does that go it's funny because it happens to some of the biggest companies in the world i mean we you know we we were amazon's agency in in china like uh, for you know when when they launched the the e-commerce and you know even there you i remember us having these conversations going but what what's the differentiation what are we bring into the table that the, that the current e-commerce platforms don't you know, we're slower, we're more expensive, like, you know, we're, you know, we have less variety, we're like, you know, and, but that, that was the case. It's going, okay, well, sign me up. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but that, you know, they're not the only company. I'm just saying it because I, I, I remember working on it and just going, right, we're trying to find a niche. Yeah. You're never going to be like, you know, that player against th- those players. You, and like anything, knowing your competition and knowing where your areas play. Now, you know, there are many reasons, and Amazon probably learned a lot more about this market than, you know, they ever let on to me, and that's totally fine, like, you know. But that, to me, is an example of, like, well, what's that position? You're going to sell niche ski wear from, like, you know, legitimized from, like, uh, uh, you know, that comes in directly from from, um, Amazon Japan. Going, That's great, but that's, you know, I mean, of the market, what is that? You know, this is, you know, you, you know, if that's your ambition and that's what your play is here, that's fine. But that's not an Amazon play, right? I wouldn't have thought, you know, not in, not in that space. So that's probably, you know, they, it's an expensive business they've done. It's expensive, like, you know, test, but you know, pe- people have had to do that. And it, as I say, they're not the first or the last, like, you know, certainly from the big sort of like Western technology companies to have, to have suffered the same fate in, in, in China, right? So, but I, I think, yeah, it, it is an increasingly challenging place to do business um, for, for many brands, for, for brands entering. I, I think you've got to do your work up front, you know, and, and, I, and I think for me, this is, you know, you, you can't dip your toe in and try Right? You have to talk to, and, and I think you know, and this is why you know it's so valuable. You know, podcasts like this, and like you know, people who have had that experience. So you go, and if you don't go in there with with a strategy, and like China might not seem like a strategy sort of place, but my goodness, you need to have one. Like you know, it's like, you know, if you want to survive, you know, and you have to talk to people who have actually on the ground done this, and like by that means connected every dot, connected like you know, you could have the best product in the world. It could be like stunning and perfect and everything else but if you can't navigate how to actually take that to market how to like you know how to communicate it where it goes what platforms it sits on who like you know what your competition is going to do to you when that this comes out and if you don't have the right people giving you advice 
which I think, you know, in China, there are plenty of people who want to give you advice. I mean, one thing I would say after 15 years in China, I am not a China expert. When, you know, when you look at LinkedIn, you see people who say China expert again. There is no such thing. Anyone who tells you they're a China expert, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I know a lot of those people. <laughs> I'm sure. But listen, like, you know, expert is something that, you know, China, all you do is learn. Yeah. And all you do is use your experience. You can't predict the future. Yeah. Absolutely impossible. Like, you know, and that's true everywhere, by the way. But in China, particularly so, because you can have a curveball thrown at you, like, you know, by the government and next day, everything has changed. Everything. If you don't have a contingency for that, if you haven't thought about this, if you like, you know, you are doomed, right? And it is not a cheap place to come and dip your toe in. Not a cheap place. Uh, you can lose a lot of money very, very quickly. And so, therefore, like, you know, our biggest advice always, like, you know, get good advice, get a range of advice, you know, because even when you're talking to, you know, consultants from outside, a lot of them don't have on the ground experience in China. You know, a lot of the senior people there, they, they've never worked in China, right? You know, and they, they can tell you stuff that they've read in reports, you know, but and in actual physical doing business. And even the companies are here, you know, you've got to remember, I mean, like, you know, I've, I've built agencies and like very successful businesses there, but we're also a business, Right. The advice you get from agencies is like, you know, it's to drive their business as much as it is to drive like your business. Right. So you have to be careful about the advice you get from everybody. Now, because everyone's everyone's vested in getting something out of this out of this game. Right. So I, I think to me, that is, you know, the, the most important thing. Like, you know, you can't underestimate how much like pre-work needs to go into it, how much like, you know, and, you know, and what a, you know, and and setting, you know, a, a vision of what success looks like. You know, I think for, for a lot of the domestic brands, it, it's much easier because that's, it's, it tends to be about short-term revenue. <laughs> you know, this is what my market share has got to look like because a lot of the marketers we work with, particularly in like local brands there and like domestic brands, I, th their shelf life in, in an organization is, is, is pretty limited. You know, like you, they might have like, what, two to three years maximum to make them make an impact. And once they've made that impact, they're not going to like repeat that cycle. They tend to move on, right? You know, so a lot of the time in, in that market, you, you know, you're dealing with people, right? This is what I need to achieve in this window. And my window looks like three years. Now, if you're entering the market, you're going, right, well, what does success look like to me in like in year one? And, like, you know, you've got to have like, this is what the annual plan looks like. And this is like, you know, what we've got to achieve. You can have agility within that plan, but you've still got to have that plan. This is what, you know, this is what we need to achieve. Right. Yeah. I've got a vision for the future, but I don't need a plan for past year one. Right. I mean, like you, like, you know, so much is going to change there. You will learn so much in that. But, you know, what are those you know, hurdles that you're going to jump over to get to where you need to be at the end of year one to prove whether this is a sustainable business or not? And I think that's, you know, to me, absolutely, absolutely mission critical. I've always thought it was, uh, to me, so akin to sailing. Right. Like we have we know we have a boat. And they're, you know, on the horizon is, is, is the island we want to go to. But everything in between us and that is, you know, we've got wind dependency, we've got currents, we've got waves, we've got, you know, weather. It's like, we don't know if we're going to go left or we're going to go right or, you know, but we're going to figure it out. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we'll end up there. You know, we just might be, you know, really wet. <laughs> We might be really wet, really hungry, and like, yeah, and without drinking water. Yeah, but pretty beat up. Like, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. We'll come limping in, but we'll make it. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market, exponentially so. 
The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.